Hey everyone, welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Chris Case. If you've ever been a runner, a swimmer, a rower, you might be familiar with the concept of two-a-days. Individual workouts separated by hours within a single day, most typically one in the morning and another in the afternoon. In cycling, two-a-days have not had as much traction. However, that's starting to change. The science is new, but many coaches, including our guest today, Neil Henderson, who's the director of sports science at Wahoo Fitness, have been putting two-a-days into practice for years with a lot of success. It brings up two big questions. Are two-a-days as effective as one single long ride at generating adaptations? That is, can they serve as a substitute? The other question, in some ways a more interesting question, is whether two-a-days have benefits that you can't get any other way, for example, through glycogen depletion. Again, the science is rapidly evolving, and today we'll refer to new research that opens the door to a new line of thinking, and we'll also talk extensively with Henderson and a host of others about the practical ramifications of two-a-days. Our other guests today include World Tour rider Petr Vakoc, racer and coach Jen Sharp, gravel racer Ted King, physiologist Jared Berg, and pro mountain biker Pace McKelvin. Let's make you fast. Last week, we announced to members the release of our new cycling interval training pathway. Pathways are a new way to explore concepts, master skills, and solve training challenges. Our new cycling interval training pathway begins with the basics of interval workouts and progresses to more advanced details. How to flawlessly execute interval workouts, which intervals bring which adaptations, and how to analyze your interval workout performance. Over 21 articles, interviews, workshops, and workouts, our new Cycling Interval Training Pathway offers you the chance to master cycling's most critical and nuanced workout format. Learn more about Pathways and see our introduction at fasttalklabs.com pathways. Well, Neil Henderson, great to have you back on Fast Talk today. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here with you. Got an episode today that we've been wanting to do for a really long time, actually. Uh, we've touched upon this subject, I'd say, many times, but we've never tackled it head on. Today, we want to do that. It's uh, two-a-days are a thing you hear from maybe other sports way more than you do in cycling. There's um, there's reasons to do it from convenience uh to other to other reasons, but we also want to know if there are actual benefits to doing this, physiological benefits, and so that's hopefully going to be the 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 majority of what we talk about today is what can you gain from doing these things? Yeah, I would say we have kind of two questions here that we're trying to answer. So one, which has been a fascination of mine for a long time, is is doing two workouts in a day as effective as doing one long workout. So do you get the same gains doing two three-hour workouts separated by a big gap versus one six-hour ride? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's the one question. The second question that we'd like to address is if you look at the research, there's been more and more research on two-a-days using them for particular manipulations. So what are those types of workouts and are there benefits to them? So I think we're going to tackle both of those questions. The one is, can this replace the long ride? And the second question is, are there two-a-day protocols that actually have unique gains? Uh, yeah. Do we need to delineate what we actually mean by two-a-days a little bit further from that? Neil, are there other things that we should should mention right at the top? Yeah, I think uh, you, you kind of consider the, the time line of what are you separating to with time between two rides? So like how long is it that you spend between two rides to truly count it as two different rides? Like if I ride out to uh, say hygiene and stop and grab a sandwich and a drink <laughs> and uh, hang out for like 30 minutes and then ride home, is that actually a two-a-day session? I don't think so. Uh, so if I went to hygiene and back and then rested and then did it again in the afternoon, two or three hours later, 
yeah, I would consider that a, a two-a-day session. Well, did so, you take your chamois off? <laughs> I would I would absolutely hope so. <laughs> yes. yes. If you don't take the chamois off, it's one ride. <laughs> <laughs> right. Theoretically. Yeah. Theoretically, I definitely <laughs> would be changing chamois, I think, would be uh, the best delineation of, of a two-a-day. What about intensity? How does that play a role here, uh, Neil? Yeah, that's, that's, I think, one of the areas where um, there's been some research that, that has uh, some findings that may say that, well, two-a-days can, can have an impact, let's just say, uh, before going into a positive and negative uh, to, to what those are. But there can be an impact of, of two different sessions completed on one day, depending on what you do in each of those sessions. And so um, there's, there's a few different ideas of how that can be done. I would say I'd almost have bucked the trend in terms of what some folks uh, do and recommend in, in training with two-a-days incorporating them for athletes where I actually encourage folks to do or plan out for folks to do their most intense training session first and then a second session being done at a lower intensity. Um, and that's kind of different than what you see in, in a lot of the, the studies um, that are looking at glycogen depletion, say um, doing some sort of a depleting ride first and then secondary trying to do high intensity later. And, and for me, you know, from a practical perspective, I find that to be a much more difficult. I'd rather have somebody do high intensity training when they're most rested and fueled AKA first thing in the morning, get that done and then go ahead and do the endurance potentially in a more glycogen depleted state in the afternoon and potentially get some of the uh, possible benefits from that in that second session. Petter Vakoc, a world tour pro with Alpes and Phoenix, uses two a days to avoid the bad weather. His approach is similar to Neil's. I definitely train uh, twice a day sometimes, but uh, mainly in the in the off season, when I when I combine, uh, let's say, um, yeah, maybe some mountain biking uh, for volume and then uh, for quality to train uh, uh, on the indoor trainer, but it's it's usually it's a matter of uh, just like uh, makes makes things easier. I don't very do often the the, the sessions twice a day just for the benefit of, of, of training twice a day. The only only session I, I do like that is would be to train uh, high intensity in the morning and then uh, in the afternoon to do a low carb training for uh, yeah, stimulating my fat metabolism. Uh, but uh, that's that's also an uh, a training that that I don't do very regularly, and if if I do it, it's usually in the in the beginning of the season, and uh, as the big races are are coming closer, I I basically never train uh, twice a day. And you mentioned the the work that you might do specific work on a trainer. Do you, you are you a, an athlete who thinks that the trainer is sometimes even better than being out on the road because you can be so specific? Uh, no, I, I, I don't really uh, enjoy uh, the, the training in the, on the indoors. It's why I do it. Usually the, the reason is uh, uh, because of the weather, that if, if the weather outside is, is too cold or, or too bad, then uh, it's hard to do the, the quality outside. But uh, I, still, uh, I still believe that... Uh, uh, yeah, doing uh, the efforts outside, even uh, even though they might be less less perfect, less perfect, it, uh, less less controlled, it's uh, it's it's beneficial because then it's more more like real uh, like. And I always struggle, I have to say, to to keep the power on the on the indoor trainer, and it's always uh, much harder for me to to do the same effort indoors than than outdoors. So so I don't I don't particularly enjoy that. And I would say this is what delineates these two questions that we're asking today the most. So when we're talking about can two-a-days replace a long ride, if you're doing a long four, five, six-hour ride, you're doing that below aerobic thresholds. So that's a zone one, zone two ride. So if you're talking about two-a-days replacing it, both of those uh, rides would be the same intensity. They'd be low intensity. The second question about are there unique gains to two-a-day is exactly what Neil's talking about, where you would include some intensity in it to produce glycogen depletion, um, get sort of some different manipulations of your physiology 
to see if you can get gains out of that second ride that you can't get other ways. Ex-World Tour Pro turned gravel racer Ted King also uses two-a-days to deal with the bad weather in Vermont, but he even mixes up his sports. Let's hear what he has to say. I live in Vermont, which was a, a decision that's much easier made in a post-World Tour career than pre. I'm answering this on Thursday, December 3rd. Let's, let's throw a timestamp out there. We are having extraordinarily good weather. And so I, I rode for a handful of hours today. I rode for a handful of hours yesterday. But as I think about an event early season like Mid-South, which comes, what, first weekend in March or so? And I think, shoot, yeah, it's going to be, we are, we're blessed with good weather now, but I know that late December and January and February are going to roll around and I'm going to need, like volume is a really, really hard thing to mimic. And riding a trainer for multiple hours is difficult in one fell swoop and, and riding multiple hours outside is really difficult too when it's 15 degrees. So I won't often double up the same activity twice. I might do, we have a, we have a really rudimentary gym in our house. And so I can do some gym work and then segue that into some riding and vice versa. It's really nice at this point in my career that I can go out and, and really embrace other sports instead of obsessing about, I need to go ride my bike. So Nordic skiing, snowshoeing, climbing mountains, alpine skiing, uh, alpine touring. These are all things that I can do now and I might end up double day, so to speak, but they're enjoyable. And these are things that I think are, are very applicable to the real life athlete as opposed to the world tour athlete. Like, yeah, you're allowed to go do double days and you are allowed to go do double days on the same discipline, but I would highly recommend mixing it up for the own, for your own entertainment and variety and excitement. Like if you're stuck in tough weather, you know, try to go skiing, try to go running, try to go do a different activity before you hop on the bike or after you hop on the bike and don't obsess with, you need to do one before or after the other. Like there's, there's, especially this time of year, it's about that volume. One of the biggest uses I've I've found for two-a-day sessions with just uh, replacing a single long endurance ride is when that training is being done indoors. Um, being able to go outside and ride four hours or five hours is much more tolerable than doing a single indoor four or five hour uh, session. Uh, I have done it. I will admit I've actually spent uh, upwards of almost 12 hours on a trainer once um, in a day. Uh, continuously pretty much with a couple minute breaks every hour or so um wouldn't recommend it um not just because of the the discomfort but the mental strain associated with that so what we think about a lot of times uh, i've had training camps say with elite athletes i was uh, in girona with ron dennis a couple years ago getting ready for the giro d'italia and so we had a pretty big training block and there was horrific weather a uh, couple of the days and we broke things up uh, instead of trying to go out and muddle through four or five hours in horrible conditions and pe possibly getting them sick not too long before the start of the race did uh, a, a 90 minute session in the morning and a 90 minute session in the afternoon pretty much at the same general intensity that we would have done outside for uh, what was planned to be at least a four hour endurance ride. So Trevor, before we jump into the question of what are the benefits of two-a-days and we want to compare them to the single long ride, let's first go there. What are the benefits to doing that four to six hour ride? So this, as you know, is kind of an obsession of mine is what is the science showing there is showing any sort of benefits to a longer ride. Mm -hmm. I love long rides. So I, I want to find my proof that I'm actually <laughs> doing something beneficial. Yeah. So I'm going to be summarizing some of what we talked about, but there's actually some new stuff that I'm going to bring in, and I'm going to try to cover this quickly. But I always love to go back to this review written by Dr. Larson, where he addresses a long ride and basically starts a review by showing all this evidence against long rides and the benefits of short, high intensity, and then has kind of in the middle of this review a big but. Mm -hmm. And the but is... All these pros are doing long rides, doing long workouts. He even looked at runners and uh, skiers doing these sessions that are much, much longer than the races and says, they're all doing it. Uh, and then goes into the review basically saying some of this is because 
really hard to get people in a, into a lab and have them do six hour rides for multiple months. Mm -hmm. uh, and also said, you know, the gains are much longer. So really it's more just a lack of research um, than be able to say there, there's no benefit to this. And so what he theorized is, and again, I've covered this a lot, so I'm, I'm going to be really quick with this. Uh, the, the pathway that ultimately produces most of our aerobic gains is this PGC1-alpha, and we forgot to put it on our cycling jerseys. We did, but it's in our hearts. It is in our hearts. <laughs> there are four ways to stimulate this pathway. High-intensity work does it one way. Low-intensity, big volume does it another way. And so I'm going to be butchering this term throughout this podcast because it's going to come up a few times. Chris has already laughed at me off mic for my horrible pronunciation. <laughs> so I'm going to apologize ahead of time. But the pathway used that they believe the, the, high in, or the, the long endurance work hits is this uh, calcium comodulin calcineurin. Mm -hmm. C-A-L-C-I-N-E-U-R-I-N. Let's see how many different ways I pronounce that today. Calcineurin. Right. So that is the pathway. Basically, what he, he theorized is that high-intensity route produces rapid gains but kind of plateaus. This calcium pathway takes longer but doesn't seem to plateau as much. So over time, you're going to get greater and greater gains. So it seems to promote slow-twitch muscle fiber development. It actually promotes conversion of fast-twitch muscle fibers to slow-twitch muscle fibers. So that's kind of the theory. These longer rides really hit that. So the question is, how do longer rides do that? One of the ideas, and, and we actually had an interview a long time ago with Dr. Holly, who brought this up, said that basically when you do a long ride, yes, your slow-twitch muscle fibers do start to fatigue. And what happens, so then you get into what's called fiber cycling, where because the, type, uh, the fibers are fatigued, you're going to start recruiting other fibers and give some of the fibers that have been working really hard a rest. So what are the fibers you're going to recruit? You're going to start recruiting fast-twitch muscle fibers and force them to work aerobically, which they don't like. So that was kind of his theory. We always had that interview with him, but actually there was a study that came out that really kind of backed what Dr. Holly was saying. Uh, where they had athletes do these long rides. And then they did muscle biopsies on them to see the impact. And what they found was you certainly saw a fatiguing of the muscle fibers, both the slow twitch and the fast twitch muscle fibers. They just weren't able to produce the same power, which backed this idea that over time, you're going to have to recruit more and more muscle fibers to put out the same sort of power. But what was very interesting is you saw a decrease in calcium sensitivity in just the fast-twitch muscle fibers. So here again, we're talking about this calcium comodulin calcineurin pathway, and you're seeing a desensitization to calcium. So theoretically, and they didn't bring this up, you're going to have to release more calcium. You're going to actually have to hit that pathway harder um, in the, the fast-twitch muscle fibers. Um, and again, that calcineurin pathway promotes fast twitch to slow twitch conversion. So here's a study that's kind of backing this whole idea that over time, you're going to hit the, those fast twitch muscle fibers and actually promote them to work more aerobically, work more like a slow twitch muscle fiber. Really interesting in the study is they showed that shorter rides at the same intensity, so something under an hour. In the study, they used a four-hour ride. Something under an hour has almost the opposite effect. The, so the explanation for why this happens is oxidative stress. So you need that time to build up ROS. And actually what you saw on shorter rides, you didn't have that time to build up ROS. So you saw an increased sensitization to calcium. So there's your potentially an argument that back doing a bunch of shorter rides and saying I've done the same volume actually isn't going to produce the same benefits as a longer ride where you're, you're generating some... Um, some oxidative stress and, and hitting that particular pathway. One other thing I'll quickly mention as a potential benefit to long rides, and this is something that uh, Dr. Inigo San Milan has talked to us about, um, and he really focuses on, is MCT1 and MCT2, and sorry about all the, or MCT4, all the, the terms. MCT1 and MCT4 are transporters for lactate. So MCT4, you tend to find on anaerobic cells that produce a lot of lactate. MCT4 
pumps the lactate out of the cell. MCT1 you tend to find on the heart and in slow twitch muscle fibers. And these are the transporters that take lactate up because slow twitch muscle fibers can use lactate for fuel. So good endurance athletes are going to have a lot of MCT4 and a lot of MCT1. This is what helps them to manage lactate buildup. And multiple studies on this, we will put the references up on the website, but MCT4 tends to be promoted by high intensity work. So again, that's the transporters that get the lactate out of your cells. MCT1 tends to be mostly promoted by long endurance work. And that is, again, the, the transporters allow the slow twitch muscle fibers to take up lactate and use it as fuel. So there's another potential benefit of the long rides. There's other smaller things, but those are the two big ones that uh, I really wanted to talk about, particularly that calcineurine pathway, because it's going to come back up when we talk about the two-a-days. We just explained the benefits of long rides. However, we still have the question of whether replacing a long ride with two easy rides has the same benefits. Let's hear what physiologist Jared Berg has to say about this. Two, two and a half hour rides to me in a five hour ride, I feel like that's getting fairly similar, right? Two, once you're over sort of two hours, you're sort of in a spot where you're demanding on some, you're putting some nutritional demand and stress on your body. There's a lot of um, endurance there. And then you take a little break and you repeat that, you know, five hours later. Yeah, you're kind of, that sort of, to me, equals a five hour kind of ride. And, and those are going to be pretty similar. Not to say that there's a, a specific um, stress associated with being on the bike for five hours straight that you, you don't need, but you, you could um, certainly supplement you know, one of your long rides with two, two and a half hour rides every week or two. Does, does two 45 minute rides, if you're commuting 45 minutes in the morning, yeah. 45 minutes at night, is that the same as one good I don't hour think, and a half? Yeah, I think you're going to prove more with the hour and a half. You're, you're going to see improvements. The 45 minute one, or like me, I, 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 you're 45 minutes from work, I'm 30 minutes from work, you know, this kind of thing, probably. I don't, I think we can maintain or just lose a little bit, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And then we need to t tweak it out to, to gain. But yeah, I think um, the hour to hour and a half, you're going to get training adaptation where you um, more get um, maintenance with the um, the my 30-minute commute or your 45. Yeah, and, and that's assuming the, sa the pace is the same. Yeah. The other thing you can do, obviously, just is the 45-minute in the morning is a workout, and the 45 going home is super easy. That's yes. like a, quote, recovery yeah. ride or something. Yeah, so now like you're that. getting creative trying to yeah. get a stimulus that is you're going to adapt from. There's a lot of aspects, for sure, at work um, separating out what the benefits are and what type of training will create a certain type of stimulus is really important. I think one thing that we still don't have a great handle on yet is what are some of these individual variations that you see relative to individuals with a preponderance of a certain fiber type to start with? And so is the same training performed by two individuals with, with different muscle fiber type um, going to respond the same way in, in some of these fashions? And so I, I would say that probably not from some of the information that is out there, that um, looking at a, a, a cross-section and seeing certain types of responses on average may be definitely useful, though I think when you start to look in a little bit closer at one type of, of uh, individual with, say, a higher percentage of fast twitch muscle fiber versus an individual with a higher percentage of slow twitch muscle fiber, you may see some differences in those same equal training uh, types with with regard to their response and what actually may lead to best performance for those two individuals. And just some thoughts there, and I'm just thinking out loud. Uh, again, one of the biggest things that this calcineurin um, pathway promotes is the conversion of fast twitch fibers to slow twitch fibers. So if you're new to cycling and you'd need to and you don't have a good ratio and you want to improve your endurance, potentially this longer work and promoting some of that conversion could be good. If you're a crit rider or a sprinter, here is the argument that maybe going out and doing a ton of six-hour rides isn't the best thing for you. 
Um, likewise, if you are somebody who's all slow twitch muscle fiber like me, and I hate to say this, maybe you're not going to see the same gains out of these workouts because you don't have much left to convert. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There's for sure interactions there. And one thing that's also interesting, a paper that I was recently reading about um, some of the, the glycogen depletion levels and, and differences between fiber type is you'll actually see some greater uh, degree of, of depletion in slow twitch fibers, whereas the fast switch fibers in the in the same muscle area are not depleted at the same degree, which is kind of an interesting thing. And whether that's a protective mechanism going on, or I'm not sure exactly what what the root cause there. Um, but doing a fatiguing activity that that did result in depletion of the slow twitch fiber did not in the same area, same muscle group, result in the same level of depletion within the fast twitch fibers, which are Again, ones that are going to be using even more glucose, generally speaking, we would say for for a, a given intensity. To get back to the general question of what are the benefits of long rides, there's the whole aspect of if you know, say you're you're about to race or not about to race, but your target race is a approximately six hour long effort. If you are not ever riding six hours, then there's a lot of things you're not uh, training specifically for, not to mention the f- the fueling aspect of it. Uh, if you're only doing one and a half hour rides leading up to a six hour race, how do you fuel that changes? How do you prepare psychologically that changes? So not having long rides or the benefits of long rides are the specificity to the types of races that people do in bike racing. Would uh, Neil, any, any other thoughts there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's an aspect of of the specificity of training um, that if you're not prepared to go the the distance properly, you know, if you're not properly prepared, it's going to be, you know, you're going into uncharted territory, though, for some of the ultra distance, like even longer distance, very rarely would we recommend training at the duration of your event, um, especially or longer. So, Somebody who's doing, you know, a road race that's going to take three or four hours, for sure it's possible to, to exceed that duration in training, no problem, um, and potentially, you know, match the, the total demand in, in training uh, with some frequency. Whereas somebody who's getting ready to do a 200-mile gravel race that's going to take them eight or ten hours, um, very rarely would you recommend somebody consistently go out and do eight or 10 hour long training days or go even beyond and do 12 hour training days um, and and not have them show up just completely shattered, tired. And if you're doing race across America. Yeah, race across America. You don't like go one way to warm up for it and train for it and then go the other way to race it. (laughs) At least I don't think. I guarantee somebody probably will do that or has done that and probably has had success doing that, but probably not because they did that. It's just, you know, there's some people who are who are capable of doing amazing things, but uh, by and large, we wouldn't no. recommend necessarily going way over your extra ultra distance efforts uh, in preparation. But yeah, I, I do love some of the work. I had a friend who raced, raced across America a couple of times. I remember one weekend, so it was Thursday or Friday, and I asked him, what are you doing this weekend? And he says, I'm training. I go, well, what are you doing? He goes, the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This weekend. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I did 24 hours of Moab solo many, many moons ago uh, when I was, you know, trying to figure out why people did those kind of things. I I still never figured it out, actually. Um, And it took me over 25 hours to complete a 24 hour (laughs) race. So, you know, I'm not that good at it. Yeah, that's, I've never heard of such a thing. But I mean, if you are doing a race that's five, six hours, which is, is doable, and the longest ride you've done leading up to that is an hour and a half, two hours, I think you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You do need to do some of those longer rides. To flip it around, if your races are an hour and a half, two hours, there is tons and tons of evidence of elite, like Olympic medalists who do shorter events like the 1,500-meter run who still regularly do 20-mile runs as part of their training. So I do think if your event is shorter, there's still benefits to be gained from doing longer workouts. I would agree. There is uh, another aspect that we haven't even talked about, but, you know, on the psychological side, um, those long endurance rides, there's a little bit of a a, a confidence that you can build with that. 
and time to experiment with your nutrition and, and things like that. And, you know, in some cases, the, the psychological part of like being by yourself, like in your own head for, you know, four or five, six hours, um, not always relying on doing it with a group, especially if you're in an event where you're not going to be with lots of other people the whole time. If you're doing like an ultra distance mountain bike race or, you know, something like that where you're out by yourself for a large portion of the time and you've only done group rides leading into that, I'd say you might not actually be specifically well-prepared from the psychological perspective. Then the next question, how, how do the two days compare here? How, how, can, can two days give these same benefits? We have to break this down, go one by one, I would say. But um, Neil, I'll turn it back to you. I know this is this is a big question. Uh, let's first take that um, physiological side of things. What do you see here in practice? Big picture, there's uh, the goal that you're trying to give for a training session that's really important. So training itself isn't just like the time that you put in and you get a result. It's actually the time and the type of effort that you put in. So in some cases, we can find that splitting up a given training session can lead to a little bit better output and higher training load accumulated than could have been done in a single training session. That's one way that I tend to look at some of this aspect of, of two-a-day training and, and can you find some additional benefit? And I've done this in some cases more with running than in cycling for uh, building up someone's endurance because running itself is, is a little bit more stressful on the body and the mechanical perspective there. And when we fatigue on a bike, our form can change a little bit, but our legs still kind of go in a circle as we're attached to the, you know, attached to the crank with our, with our pedals. Uh, when we run, if we fatigue and break down our mechanics, we actually set an athlete up for more problems with injury. And so cycling, again, there can be some overuse type of things of just continually stressing the same area. And if your mechanics uh, break down to the point where you're adding a lot of stress in a given area, then yes, you could also have the same thing on a bike, um, but probably a little bit more of an issue with running. And so for some folks, instead of having them do that, say, 20 mile long run, they're not capable of doing that without really breaking down after 10 or 12 miles having them do two different 10 mile runs with some recovery period in between can lead to a little bit better output in that way. And that's certainly what you see in other endurance sports, particularly the ones where there is that sort of impact that you have to be careful of. When they increase their volume, they don't do it by making the workouts longer. They do it by adding more workouts. Yep. And that's, again, something that in cycling, I would say, has been less common for endurance training. Uh, for, for somebody who's a road racer and that kind of perspective, you know, a single ride, you know, a single race in a day, doing two different workouts is kind of a, a foreign concept for a lot of folks, especially from a from an, uh, more historical perspective, we'll say. Nowadays, we're seeing a lot more athletes that are used to, you know, doing multiple sessions in a day, whether they come from a track cycling background, which by and large, you know, we have in many cases that competition, you know, two competitions each day or sometimes even more um, that that you're actually competing at different times within the same day. And so there's automatically two a days just part of what you do in the competitive landscape as well as then in training because even access to a velodrome is somewhat limited. So, you know, you might have a 90-minute window in the morning with your national team and then another 90-minute window in the afternoon or evening and you don't have enough time to get everything done in one of those sessions, so you split it up and do part in the morning and part in the afternoon. Let's hear from track racer and coach Jen Sharp about how she uses two-a-days for her track training. Yeah, sure. So with, within track, it's very skill-specific or very energy-specific. So we would often do a really hard track session in the morning. It'd take a couple hours of recovery, at least four hours, and then go and do an endurance ride after. Um, the purpose of that at the time felt like exhaustion. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm, and then I'm sure that there was some physiological advantage of doing that heavy load. The biggest piece that I got out of it was the mental gain and 
being able to go, okay, I'm, I'm pushing as hard as you can because in track, it's such intense intervals that you're doing. And they're so, you have to be 100% focused on how hard you're going. And you're going to that point of, I'm going to die. <laughs> that very high discomfort feeling. Um, and then to follow that up with an endurance ride, which, you know, endurance after, after going that hard may not, on paper, it looks easy. Physically, you're exhausted and you're mentally spent because you put so much time and energy into those intervals in the morning session. But then at the same time, it also gave you a break because you didn't have to push as hard in the afternoon. And how often were you doing this? Uh, during training camp, which would be probably a five-day training camp, we'd do it every day, basically. I would say I probably did it for three years. And, and so just to be clear, you do a five-day block, two-a-days, each of those days, and then that would be it for the that year? Or you would do it no. again? Yeah, yeah. So that would be it for that training um, session. And then usually, so with track, it's usually a, a, a winter sport. Um, but we would train in the summertime like that leading up into nationals. So nationals used to be in August back at when I was competing. Um, and we would do the, the two a days leading into nationals and then get into the camp for national team preparation or development team and do them there as well. So it would be during that race time frame, but it wouldn't be all season. Like off season, no way. You would not do two a days. Hey, I'm Ryan Kohler, head coach and physiologist at Fast Talk Laboratories. And I'm Trevor Connor, CEO of Fast Talk Labs. Between the two of us, Ryan and I have over 40 years of coaching and clinical experience. From juniors to masters, national level athletes to club riders. Our team at Fast Talk Laboratories is pleased to offer new solutions and services. Now you can get the same guidance and testing available to athletes at national performance centers. No matter where you live or train, our virtual performance center can be your support network to get faster, to get answers, and to get more enjoyment from your sport. Schedule a free consult. We'll discuss your background and recommend a path forward. Book a coaching help session. We'll help you push your thinking and find new opportunities. We can troubleshoot challenges and find solutions. Even if you're working with a coach, we can help support you and your coach by bringing a neutral, science-based perspective to your training. Schedule inside testing you can do from anywhere in the world. We can reveal incredible insights into your personal physiology and strengths as an athlete, plus next steps to improve your performance. Prove your nutrition with a consultation tailored to your needs, or create a personal race day nutrition plan. We can even help you with workouts and skills. We offer in-person and virtual sessions to guide key workouts or improve technique. Fast Talk Laboratories is here for you, wherever you are. See how we can help at fasttalklabs.com slash solutions. So the, the one way to do a two-day, uh, simple, take a long ride, cut it in half, put it in two parts of the day. That, that's one way. There's some other ways that people are incorporating two-a-days um, into training uh, with a a manipulation component, I guess you could say to that. And Neil, I think here's where I'd like to hear from you on how you've put it into practice with some of the athletes you're working with. The way that I typically will do this with athletes that I coach is to do a high intensity training session in the morning, followed then by a lower intensity or even exclusively low intensity session in the afternoon. And so the reason and, and the way we do this is that morning session is going to be done with an athlete who's coming in pretty well rested and properly fueled so that they can get the absolute most out of that session. They're, they're not going to be limited by having low fuel availability. So they have all the carbohydrate on board. They're able to push the intensity at that upper limit and kind of get that, that peripheral stress and then have some bit of recovery. In some cases, we may manipulate and, and have a, a, a lower amount of fuel on board after that session. And then for the afternoon session, do either kind of a traditional low intensity volume session that isn't going to be as long as normal. It might only be two hours, two and a half hours, um, or something with a little bit of low intensity even in there or moderate intensity, which 
is kind of giving you two different types of intensity in a given day's schedule. So a morning session might be, we'll just call it like max aerobic power or VO2 max intervals. So something classic, 10 by two minutes on, two minutes off um, at, at power of VO2 max, something like that would be the morning session. And that might take a total with warm up and cool down of at most 90 minutes. And then the afternoon, a typical day might just be two hours of steady endurance and uh, not not adding anything hard, though on occasion we may throw in then a little bit of tempo work or some big gear work to get a little bit more of a peripheral stress in the afternoon when there's already some fatigue on board. But, but by and large, I would say I don't do a lot of double intensity days of morning and afternoon except for those individuals who are preparing for events that require that, like track cycling or, or uh, you know, some of those smaller niche activities where you have to do two maximal efforts in a day, morning and afternoon. Can I ask for clarification? The, the you know, you're, you're saying this is a protocol that you use most often. What caliber of riders are we talking about here? Are these Grand Tour riders? This type of uh, high intensity in the morning and then endurance in the afternoon is something for sure. We do a lot more with, with elite athletes, though, for some of the, the master's athletes, time-crunched athletes that work full-time. This is also a, a thing that we do in some days where, again, they can't carve out a full two-hour session that will have them do a 45-minute higher-intensity session in the morning. And then after work, add just an hour general endurance uh, session to give them a little bit more volume than they could have done it either in doing just a single session, either before work or after work. Um, because we often find, especially with our, our folks who work full time is, you know, doing the high intensity work late in the day, in the evening, after a full day of work and stress is often much more harder to, to hit those high intensity values. So getting that done before work, first thing in the day, um, typically works better. You are hitting on something that has become really popular in the research. If you go to PubMed right now and look up two-a-days, you're actually going to get a lot of results because what has become popular is this whole concept of training in a glycogen-depleted state. So we actually had Dr. Eukendrup on the show. I can't remember what episode that was, but it was relatively recent, uh, talking about some of the protocols to do that. And the most popular one is the do a high-intensity session in the evening, then sleep in a glycogen-depleted state, and then do a workout in the morning. But another way to do this is exactly what you're talking about, which is do the hard workout, uh, again, in the morning or earlier in the day, uh, get the glycogen depletion, then get a little bit of recovery, and then do a second workout, again, in that glycogen-depleted state. Interestingly... So this was a study I found just a couple nights ago that, that I found fascinating. This is why I was telling you about this whole calcineurin. Did I get mm -hmm. that right? Mm -hmm. This was a study I found a couple nights ago, but I found a couple other studies, and they're all very recent, showing something similar. So this study was a 2020 study uh, written by a – there's a whole huge team, but the first author is Victor A. And Dorade Souza, and I'm certain I butchered that, where they wanted to say, is it really the glycogen depletion that's causing all these potential gains that they're seeing? So they created a very interesting protocol. They use the that overnight fast idea. So they hit yourself hard with a workout in the, the evening, stay in a glycogen depleted state. And then they had the athletes do another workout in the morning. So there's 15 hours between the workouts. But second workout was in a glycogen depleted state. Then they had the athletes do a two-a-day where they did a glycogen-depleting workout, waited two hours, then did another workout. Now, they demonstrated in both cases the athletes were in a similar depleted state going into that second workout. But what they found was that actual the, – the, the group that took the 15-hour rest didn't see a ton of gains over the control group. The two-a-days saw a tenfold increase in the genes that are regulated by calcineurin. So PGC1-alpha was like ninefold increased. And their explanation, so basically they said, we don't actually think it's the glycogen depletion that's causing these gains. We actually think it's the proximity of the workouts. 
And their explanation is you do that hard workout first, that starts to ramp up these genes. And then you do the second workout while those genes are ramped up and you get a multiplication effect that really kind of hyper stimulates those genes when you do that second workout while they're elevated. Unfortunately, they didn't do any sort of markers of oxidative stress, but I, I'm hoping this study comes out where somebody does that, which says, yeah, with that morning work or that first workout, you're producing some oxidative stress. And then that second workout, you're, you're hitting the muscles with already elevated ROS, with already elevated genes, and you're basically then exaggerating the, the effect. So I hate to say it, we got a question a couple years ago from one of our listeners who said, basically, I heard your whole thing about long rides, the benefit of long rides. And the explanation I just gave you, I basically said, most of the gains from the long ride come late in that long ride. That's why you have to go for so long. So he said, fully get it, understand the gains are at the end of the long ride. I have to do a long ride. Just one question. Is there any way I can skip those first four hours and get all the gains? <laughs> right. Yes. And I hate to say it, at least this study, and I'll, I'll keep reading the research, this is all very new research, is saying, here's kind of a way of doing that. Do that hard workout, then take a rest, but don't wait too long. So these genes will stay upregulated six to eight hours. There's a window of opportunity. There's a window here. of opportunity. Then do that second workout. And then you're essentially doing the last five, six hours of a six-hour ride. There you go. So you can't do a, a work work a ten hour day though between those sessions. So you gotta gotta have that flexible schedule in that six or eight hours on your limit to stay within the within the so limit. So be crappy right? at your job. Don't be, work a full be day. Be crappy at your job. Yeah, You'd I mean, be a when great you, cyclist. When you first introduced this uh, concept to me, Trevor, I was like, oh, sweet, I can just work shorter days now. I have to get my commute in in the morning, and then uh, six hours. Oh, yeah, I've got to get my second ride in. Yep, time to go. Yeah, wait till we have that conversation off quiet. <laughs> Another interesting study that I remember this from, at, uh, I think it was the ACSM conference years ago, and, and the title of the talk was uh, Train Low, Compete High. And I was like, oh, another altitude study. Da, da, da. And I was like, oh, it was actually about uh, training low glycogen content and then compete with high glycogen content. And this came out of, uh, I think it was Benta Peterson's lab where they were doing uh, twice daily training every second day versus a group that did the same, uh, the single session each day consecutively. And they were, there were a couple issues with the study. A, it was uh, relatively untrained folks and it was using just like a knee extensor exercise, but they were looking at some of the changes and responses um, to those two different training cycles. And they found that the individuals who did, again, the twice daily every other day had more significant responses to that stimulus than doing the single training session day consecutive days. And there's been some follow-up from that with, with uh, more endurance trained athletes, uh, including one with, I think it was Josh, uh, John Holly and Louisa Burke in like 2009. And they found that they didn't see an amplification of performance in one of the measures they looked at with, again, a twice daily versus uh, consecutive days of training. But they did see potential markers that might yield improvement over time was kind of the, the takeaway from that. So some interesting things to consider there. And it is very interesting because this really, this is the sort of stuff that flies a little in the face of how we have traditionally trained. Uh, you know, not a, I, I can't think of a lot of athletes who have tried this approach of I'm going to train every other day, but I'm going to train twice on the days that I train and take the other day off. I don't know any athlete that's done that yep. yet. I've seen that research too, that they've shown you seem to get greater gains from doing that. Definitely. And here's here's something that I would surmise or throw in there on that day off. Uh, like what Chris does, uh, riding to work and then from work, a short, hopefully recovery intensity ride in the morning, going into work. And then as you go home to help speed the recovery process potentially has some recovery benefits regarding kind of some of the, the endocrine and hormone responses to exercise. So if you think about something like growth hormone at a low intensity, you actually get a little bit of a stimulus and increase in growth hormone, hormone 
after exercise, even low intensity exercise for 20 minutes, you'll also see a decrease in uh, some of the stress hormones, epi, norepi, et cetera, during that 20 minute recovery ride. And if you do that twice in a day, you get basically double the benefit then in terms of some of that additional uh, anabolic hormone production with, with growth hormone and decreasing some of those uh, catabolic hormones. On the practical side, again, Neil, how are the athletes you're working with tolerating two-a-days? Just from a practical point of view, is it, I mean, they, they have, the, I guess they have the, most of them have the luxury of, of a very flexible schedule. Yeah, so uh, there's a little bit of a mix. Again, I have uh, still do coach some some amateur athletes who work full time, um, and so for them that that two a day is something that we do more like once a week at most, twice a week, um, and during during kind of a, a building up phase where we're trying to get a little bit of additional stimulus. Um, so it's not something that we're doing year round consistently all the time. For the high-end elite athlete, a lot of times we use that to ensure that that quality work is being done uh, with with a, a high degree of specificity in many kind many cases, which often means we're going to do that high-intensity first training session actually on a trainer um, stationary, and then do the endurance ride outdoors. Um, I've even had sometimes where it's you know have an athlete who's a little bit trainer averse, I'll say, go ahead and warm up outside, ride, then come in, you know, put your, put your bike on the trainer this one hour for these specific efforts, and then go back out and continue on with your outdoor ride, um, to, to just incorporate that specific high intensity, but lots of others now understand the value. It's not just a, I don't like to do it. It's like, well, I do like to win. So I'm going to try to do the things that, you know, will help me win. And if this is one of those things that that gives me a better response in training, then they're on board. So I don't have to twist too many arms. Whereas years ago, I had to twist more arms a little bit with, with some folks. There are many ways in which doing two-a-days can make training more manageable and enjoyable. Pro mountain biker Payson McKelvin shares with us how he uses two-a-days to get his volume in while avoiding too much abuse on the trails. For one, being predominantly a mountain biker, it's hard to put in huge, huge weeks exclusively on the mountain bike because um, it just beats you up so much. It's not, it's not like on the road where you can do you know, five, five-hour days in a row. And obviously, you're super tired, but your, your upper body isn't like incapable of holding a toothbrush, which definitely happens if you were to do five five-hour mountain bike days in a row with that being said oftentimes i'll do a pretty hard session of road riding in the morning um, whether that's structured intervals or, or whatever <clears throat> and then in the evening i'll go out and do a mountain bike ride that's less structured maybe a little bit more bike handling centric and end up with a, a five-hour day that way and kind of accomplish both where i get quality in regards to you know, engine building, <laughs> and then also quality in regards to bike handling. And I only spent two hours on the mountain bike. So the next day, I'm not completely crushed to go do another big day of training. Right. Other times, we'll do the the local Durango Tuesday night group ride, which is a, a race group ride. Um, it's it's completely insane. There was, uh, I think it was last year or, or two years ago, um, all three of the mountain bike national titles, professional mountain bike national titles were on the ride. We had world champions, et cetera. Very competitive ride. And in that scenario, sometimes I'll do two-ish hour ride, road ride in the morning that involves a good amount of tempo um, or sometimes even a, uh, an interval workout, some motor pacing, whatever in the morning. And then we'll do the group ride in the evening. Um, and we found that That'll just even that extra like four to six hours of recovery between the two allows for a much more quality uh, group ride. I'm able to compete a little better than if we were able to just combine the two and have one big four to five hour ride. I also think that there's just intuitively, I have nothing to back this up, but it seems like when you're really trying to, you know, optimize weight, body composition, all that sort of thing, it seems like when you exercise twice in a day like that, your metabolism just kind of stays elevated all day. I, I feel um, like it's more beneficial for, for that reason, rather than your body just totally shutting off. Say, say you finish riding at 1 p.m. and then the rest of the day, it just gradually kind of shuts off. 
when you hit it twice in a day like that, um, to me, it sort of, uh, has an added effect. Um, and then almost always, not almost always, I'd say three times a week, we're doing some sort of gym component also. Um, and so obviously that's a, that's a two a day situation too. Yesterday, I sort of had a triple where I did, um, some time on the rollers inside pretty early in the morning, got into the gym, did a hard session there, uh, and then had a, <laughs> sounds crazy to say now, but I had a four and a half, close to a five hour ride, um, in the afternoon. So yesterday was just like on all day. Um, but even those little breaks between, maybe they gave me a little something physically, but also psychologically, it can go a long way to just get a lunch break um, between all that. So let's let's go back to the beginning where we pitted one a day long rides versus two a days um, and these different these different protocols. Neil, tell us which wins. I guess there's certainly situations where one wins out over the other, but give us a breakdown of or give us a scorecard of what you see here in practice. In my opinion and experience, I would say that there is absolute clear advantages to incorporating two-a-day sessions into your training and in some cases doing it one to substitute for a single long training session and secondary uh, primary reason to do that to be able to create a greater stimulus for training with training with performing a high intensity session um, in the morning and then a lower intensity training session in the afternoon. Those are the, the two ways that I would do that uh, and recommend folks do that, whether you're an amateur rider or, or a world tour pro. Trevor, what have you seen both in yourself and maybe some athletes you've coached? So I am going to start with the bitter pill that I don't want to swallow. And then I'll finish it up with uh, a little bit of defense of the long ride. But if I am reading this science right, and I'm very excited about the science, I'm going to keep reading it. I just gave an explanation of how these two-a-days can produce a lot of the gains that you get from long rides and actually kind of hyperactivate this whole pathway. So there's potentially a lot of good gains from these two-a-days. The other thing I'm going to add to that, you go back to that that Larson review where he talked about the science behind the the short high intensity versus the the long ride, where he concluded his review was to say that long slow hits this calcium comodulin calcineurin pathway. Uh, High intensity, as I remember, hits the AMPK pathway. And he basically said, if all you're ever doing is hitting one of those pathways, you're going to be limited. You really have to hit both. And so he actually made the argument for a polarized approach to training because of that. If you do the two-a-days the way that Neil just described, you're getting that high intensity in the, in the first workout, so you're hitting that AMPK pathway. But in that second low-intensity workout, you're hitting more that calcium comodulin calcineurin pathway, so you're getting the sort of gains that you would get from a long ride Plus, like I said, you're kind of supercharging it. So here's a way of actually hitting both pathways in the same day. So if I'm reading the science right, if that's correct, there's a real benefit to this. So, yeah, I'm trying to swallow this pill. Uh, The one thing I will say in defense is Larson brought this up as well. High-intensity work causes autonomic stress, and too much autonomic stress is what leads to overtraining if you are constantly repacing your long rides with two-a-days, you run that risk of, of really fatiguing yourself. So I think my answer would be, I think it would be good to, to periodically replace a long ride with this. I would not be doing it all the time. Yeah, I think that there are certain situations here. Uh, for example, what Neil started the, the show with, a story of Rowan, and if it's nasty weather out there and you risk getting sick and you think you want to do that six-hour ride, and, but, man, it's better to just try to break it up and do two uh, swift sessions or something like that. That's, that's a great application. 
Um, we also talked about some of the things that I don't think two-a-days can ever replace, which is that specificity of race distance, um, the psychological aspect, the the fueling, all of that. So, and, But certainly it can, can be a convenience if you can work it effectively into your program. For example, people that do commute. Um, but you have to – you can't just do the same thing every day or you're going to get stale or you're going to get – overworked or whatever you have to you have to think a little bit more about it and um, uh, so there are definite ways to incorporate two days in effectively and I think at the same time there are things that it just cannot replace yeah that's what I would say and and I, but I would ask a follow-up question of you Neil do I have it right do you think that there are certain things that you just cannot replace when it comes to that one long ride or are there times when you're just like, I don't see the benefit all the time. Yeah, I, I still do find the value in having a long ride as part of your training schedule and, and things. It's something that needs to be done. Now, how long that is, is again, relative to the time of year and, and what you're getting ready for. So in some cases for, for somebody who's doing, you know, shorter races, a criterium, a 30, 45 minute race, a long ride, you know, three hours is, is long, relatively speaking. And you're going to get a lot of, uh, appropriate, uh, training stress from that relatively speaking but you don't have to do whatever you you consider that long ride relative to your training history and demands every single week and so that's where i see for a lot of amateur riders they kind of get stuck in a rut of saturday is always my long ride or sunday or whatever day it is it's they do the same thing week in and week out most of the year round and for me, replacing some of those sessions and, and varying things is really where we see some of those those benefits. So changing things up in most cases is is going to provide value along as as long as there's a purpose to it. You know, if you just do the same thing week in and week out without ever changing, you're you're going to get stale. You're not going to get the adaptations that are truly possible. And so in most cases, I would say for those long rides, for a lot of amateur ride riders, maybe you do two weeks, you know, consecutively with that long ride on the weekend. That might be normal if you're working, you know, working and whatnot and family, you get that long ride Saturday or Sunday, a couple weeks in a row. And then the third week, you don't do that same long ride. You maybe do a shorter intense session in the morning, do some honeydew stuff around the home, get get things done that you wouldn't have otherwise done because you'd normally be doing that long ride. And then in the afternoon, go out and do a little bit of a, a shorter endurance ride, maybe an hour and a half or two hours, and see how your body is responding and adapting to that, as well as you know maybe how, how much more tranquil your home <laughs> life might be. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, too, um, there is the convenience factor, but I got to say sometimes just getting the one long ride and it might actually be more convenient than the two rides where you're having to prep and having to shower afterwards and all that sort of stuff. So it, it context matters and situation matters. And Absolutely. Yeah. Your laundry uh, is, is clearly a part of that. That's your non-training stressor <laughs> in some cases. All right. So, Neil, you've been on the program before. You know how we like to close out. We, we have been recapping things here at the, at the tail end of the episode, but we do like to close with a 60-second take-home from each of the guests. Um, what, what would you say, Neil, is the most important message here from this episode? Yeah, my big takeaway would be, number one, don't be afraid to change up some of your training and replace an occasional long ride with a double session where you do a little bit more of an intense session in the morning and then in the afternoon, several hours later, three, four hours at least, go out and do then a slightly shorter than normal endurance ride, maybe two hours or so, and keep the intensity on that second session then to your normal low intensity session. Um, also, don't be afraid to mix things up and have rest and recovery um, built in and potentially even doing those double recovery sessions uh, might be beneficial for those of you who work full time. And if you do a really heavy session on a Wednesday, then Thursday, doing a, a short 15, 20 minute spin in the morning. And then again, in the evening, uh, the following day might help you recover a little bit faster and leave you ready for your next more intense day. But don't forget a long ride, maybe just not every single week. Trevor, what would you add there? Pretty comprehensive by Neil. He stole all the good ideas, didn't he? 
Well, he did take all the good stuff. And as the guy who absolutely loves his six-hour rides, I feel like my take-home should be to plead the fifth. <laughs> so, Plead the sixth. Plead the sixth. Ooh, there we go. I like it. <laughs> Reading the research, there does seem to be benefits to the, the two-a-days. And, and uh, Neil just summarized it really well. So really the only thing I have to add is – and we might have to have a follow-up on this because there is more research coming out on it, and I'm, I'm going to track that research. But the focus has really been on glycogen depletion. I always worry about that. Even Dr. Eugendrup brought that up, that trying to train in a glycogen-depleted state can be really fatiguing. It's and tricky to get it right. Right. And I like the fact that there, uh, I've now seen two studies that are saying – Actually, the glycogen depletion might not be as important as we thought. It's the proximity of the workouts to one another. So I really like Neil's protocol of do something hard in the morning, uh, then do something easy later in the day. So the only thing I would add to that, and obviously if you have work, this makes it hard, there's a window. There's a window where those that those genes are upregulated, and you want to do that second work workout while they're upregulated to, to get that additive effect. I think I have the answer for you, Trevor. I mean, one-a-days, you love them, long long rides. Two-a-days, shown to have some positive benefits. There you go. Two six-hour rides in a day. I like this. Yes. See? With a six-hour rest Ooh, in between. Man. Exactly. There you go. I've got my day. <laughs> yes. Hey, I'm I'm doing that this <laughs> August. I'm doing lead nice. boat yeah, for whatever very good. reason. Yeah. Except it'll be yeah. more than six yes. hours. If I did either day in six hours, I would be hero level, which is definitely not going to happen. <laughs> I'll close out speaking as a someone who has commuted uh, for years. Uh, again, my commute is 10 miles, 12 miles. I can make it whatever I want, but at, at a minimum, it's, uh, it's 10 miles. And I have used it effectively for years. I didn't necessarily know why I was getting benefits from it. I just uh, took that approach that I was going to do this. Um, I was racing, uh, you know, pretty complete cyclocross season, and I think that's where it really is a, a great a great way to to get your two a days in and still be effective at, come race day because those are short races, so you don't need massive volume, you don't need some of this specificity from a really long ride that you can only get from a really long ride, um, and you can practice on the trails around here that I have between my home and work to practice skill sessions one day in the morning and, and or some intervals in the morning on the way in and take it easy on the way home. So get creative. Uh, now that we have some more science to back some of this stuff up, it helps uh, convince people probably that they can effectively work this into their program and not get overtrained or not get stale. Uh, always a pleasure, Neil Henderson. Thanks again for joining us on Fast Talk. It's been great. Thank you, guys. Happy riding. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. Thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. And become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Neil Henderson, Petervac Coach, Jen Sharp, Ted King, Jared Berg, Payson McKelvin, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.